This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Quran across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بئس ما اشتروا به أنفسهم أن يكفروا بما أنزل الله بغيا أن ينزل الله من فضله على من يشاء من عباده فباءوا بغضب على غضب وللكافرين عذاب مهين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ثم ما بعد once again everybody after a long break السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته we uh, we pick up today from the series in Ramadan from ayah number 90 and uh, our the intention today is to try to get through a significant passage maybe six seven ayat uh, of material some things as an introduction for those of you that are listening in for the first time we are in a very long series of ayat roughly from ayah number 40 all the way lasting to ayah number 121. We're almost at the tail end of that because we're at ayah 90 now. Um, that deal with the Israelites, Ya Bani Israel. Allah addresses the Israelites directly and goes through various accounts of their history and various different kinds of criticisms and calls and invitations to them. Now, it's important to note here that you know, you might hear like week after week until we get to 121, more about the Jews. And then there's more about the Jews. And then there's more about the Jews. Can we go do something else now? Can we like talk about like Shreem or something? Or maybe Halal meat or something else? The, the thing is, this is pretty important stuff. Uh, the, Allah is paralleling. He's, he's, he's superimposed the history of the Israelites and the future of this ummah on top of each other. So what we learn about them is actually very telling about ourselves. The criticisms that Allah makes of them are the same criticisms that we need to avoid for ourselves. So it's kind of a strange look in the mirror when we study the Israelites in the Qur'an. So that's the first thing to note here. The second thing to note, in the course of the Durus, but I think it's good to have your mind going in that direction, is that in my own opinion, as far as my own observation of religious circles and Muslim circles in general, our thoughts towards the Jewish people are uh, pretty antagonistic. So we have, a, we have kind of a very negative view of the Jews and we have this like, these are, these are evil people and they're, you know, they're the worst of the enemies of Islam, they want to destroy Islam, etc., etc. And a lot of that is fueled obviously by the political climate that we're in. There are obviously ethnic tensions on both sides and that fuels this problem too. But What's funny about this and tragic about this is the criticisms that Allah makes of them in the Qur'an are actually mostly in light of the fact that they're being invited to the Qur'an and they're not accepting that invitation. They're not giving it its due. Now ironically, we don't invite them to the Qur'an anymore. We don't talk to them about Allah's book. We don't engage them by and large. We've already said they're cursed, they're done with, they've already got their one-way ticket to hell, etc. And so we don't need to worry about giving them any kind of da'wah or engaging with them or even talking to their scholars because the Qur'an actually in many occasions is, on many occasions is speaking to their scholars, the people that are knowledgeable among them. So if anything, Allah has a right to criticize them 
through the tongue of his messenger وسلم, because clear invitation is being offered to them. We, however, have our criticisms of them because of other grievances, political, geopolitical, ethnic, other, other reasons. But our criticisms are not rooted in the fact that we genuinely invited them to the word of Allah and they denied the word of Allah and they rejected it and they fought against it and they, you know, no such thing. And yet, when we're angry at them, when we want to give a khutbah about them, we can quote the ayat that where Allah is angry at them. Well, Allah is angry at them for different reasons, we're angry at them for other reasons. So we mix the deen, we bring the deen into an equation where it didn't belong. That's not where the, these ayat were supposed to be used. So that's, the, that's something that I want all of us to be conscious of when we think about other peoples, that Allah Azza wa Jal is actually, by, in, in, at, at the core of it, Allah is Ar-Rahman, He is Al-Hadi, He is the guide, He is the ultimately loving, caring, and merciful. And His love, care, and mercy extends to all human beings, them included. You know, they're not exclusively a bunch that is cursed and everybody else is okay. As a matter of fact, you'll find within these ayat, there are some things very particular to the Jews of Medina. It's not even a commentary on Jews at large in many cases. It's particular to the people in the very company of the Prophet ﷺ. In any case, so those introductory comments I thought were necessary uh, to at least frame our mind in a good direction. The other, just uh, uh, as a mindset, as a disclaimer, a lot of these ayat are very long. So the ayah, I, all that I recited to you in the beginning was one ayah, it was just ayah number 90. So it's made up of multiple phrases. And when you read those phrases in translation, it might feel like it's like a lot of stuff on top of each other, and you might not be able to get the sense of what's going on in the text, right? So it's, I will read through a, a rough translation of this entire ayah first to you, and you'll notice also that you're, you're starting to get a little bit lost. So we're going to have to take a phrase-by-phrase phrase approach. Typically, you take an ayah by ayah approach. If there's an ayah like wadariyati darwa, okay, you talk about the ayah, the ayah is done because it's short. Qul huwallahu ahad, the ayah is short. You can talk about the ayah. But an ayah like this one, you literally have to break it up into the clauses, the phrases, deal with them, analyze them, see how they connect to the next part, to the next part, to the next part, until you get a proper picture of the ayah and then connect to the next ayah. So that's the kind of approach we're going to try and take. So here's a rough translation of the ayah that I recited to you. Uh, how despicable, how horrible is what they used, uh, what they sold off to buy for themselves. The, the idea of ishtira, which I'll dig into a little bit later, is to sell something and in exchange buy something. Barter, what's called barter in the old uh, speech. right? So every time you buy something, nowadays when you buy something, all you give up is cash. Back in the day when you bought, when you bought tomatoes, you gave up rice. So in a sense, you sold rice and bought tomatoes at the same time. So the idea of ishtira is actually something acquired and something given up. So they sold something off uh, to buy themselves, to buy actually, purchase themselves. That they denied out of vicious jealousy uh, in whatever Allah sent down, meaning, out of vicious jealousy they denied everything, whatever Allah had sent down on account of the fact that Allah out of His own preferential favor continues to descend upon whoever he wants from among his slaves. In other words, they, they reject, roughly speaking, they reject because they're super jealous, they're extremely upset, and they're even willing to become vicious in their jealousy, and they do this all because they can't stand the fact that Allah is continuously sending revelation to someone else, who, what he calls whoever he wants among his slaves. This is a reference, of course, to the Prophet ﷺ. Thus they brought great rage on top of great rage upon themselves. They brought ghadab ala ghadab, rage upon rage upon themselves, in return. 
For deniers, there is humiliating torture. For deniers, there's humiliating torture. So now we have to kind of dig in phrase by phrase. And the first phrase we're going to deal with is Also my advice to you, because these durus are rather long, and uh, you know, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna try not to take an educa- like a, a lecturer approach, uh, or a khutbah type approach in these lectures. I'm gonna try to take like a teaching approach in these lectures. There are points where there are reflections and they're emotional and powerful and I'll try to communicate some of that to you. But uh, you know, if you're gonna be regulars, then have a notebook or have a copy of Qur'an, like printouts even, like with space between the ayat. So just write a couple of things down so you can keep track of what's going on. Or at least, at the very least, have a translation with you going in, even if it's on your phone or iPad or whatever else, and just follow along what's being said phrase by phrase by phrase. So the first phrase we're dealing with is, How terrible is what they sold off to buy their own selves. That's a strange thing to say. Who buys themselves? How do you buy your own self, you know? The first thing here to note is the phrasing of purchasing or trading. This, per, this terminology is used in the Qur'an in many occasions. اِشْتَرَوَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا بِالْآخِرَةِ And for those of you that are familiar with Arabic a little bit, the mansub, al-hayat al-dunya, that is what you acquire. The mansub, al-mushtara is what you acquire. And the, whatever comes with the ba is the thing that you sold, is the thing that you gave up. Okay? So they gave up the akhirah and they acquired this world. Same thing, وَالْعَذَابَ بِالْمَغْفِرَةِ They gave up forgiveness and they acquired torture. They acquired punishment. That's a phrasing in the Qur'an. أُولَئِكَ الَّذِينَ اشْتَرَوْا ضَلَالَةَ بِالْهُدَى They purchased, now this time Allah says, they purchased misguidance by selling guidance. Every time the ba comes, it's the stuff you sell, the stuff you give up. Then يَشْتَرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا they, they sell the ayat, or they actually, they, they acquire a small value, and they give up the ayat of Allah. You notice in all of these things, both items, they're contrasted. It's adab bil maghfira. It's dalala bil huda. Dalala bil huda. It's al-hayat al-dunya bil akhirah. And you notice one of these things is better, and the other thing is worse, right? So they gave up guidance, which is better, and they got something worse, which is misguidance. They gave up something better, which was the akhirah, they got something inferior, which is this world. They gave up something better, which was, uh, in one case, forgiveness, they got something worse, which is torture. They gave up, they, they gave up the ayat of Allah, and they got a little bit of gain, thamanan qalila, a little bit of value. So every time there's a, a good and a bad, and it seems continuously in the Qur'an, they keep giving up good stuff, and they keep getting in return worse stuff in return, right? That's the phrasing that's used all the time. But there is an exception, and this exception needs to be mentioned so we can understand this particular phrase. I don't want to go off on this tangent of buying and selling and trading, but it's, it's for the purpose of you understanding this phrase properly. Because it is a complex phrase. Because the, for the first time Allah says, whatever they sold is terrible. And what did they sell? Something, Allah doesn't mention what it is. And then He says, and what did they buy? Themselves. So that's kind of a, it's a strange phrase as opposed to all the other phrases that were much easier to understand. Now they're selling something and buying their own selves. So it takes a little bit of you know, digging to, to appreciate what's being said. So far I've told you the selling and buying, whenever Allah mentions it, it's something good that's given up and something bad that's acquired. Unfortunately, right? That's what happens most of the time. But actually the selling is also mentioned when both items are bad. Both are bad. And this is actually, I would argue, a case of both being bad. 
and we'll dig into I'll show you how that works, but for now, let me give you another example. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, you know, فَوَيْلُ لِلَّذِينَ يَكْتُبُونَ الْكِتَابَ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ The worst, most horrific kinds of torture and punishment is for those who document, who write the book, they author the book with their own hands. ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ Then they say this is from Allah. So they, wrote, they composed it themselves, and then they said this is from Allah. Then he says, لِيَشْتَرُوا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا So they can sell it for a small gain. So what are they acquiring? A small gain. What are they selling? Something they made up themselves. So both things are bad. Both of these items are bad. You understand? So as opposed to al-adab bil-maghfirah, al-dalal bil-huda, those were different. This time, both items are negative. So here, in these ayat, what seems to be the most compelling case to me, wallahu ta'ala a'lam, is what they have. What they, and who are they selling to will be an important key in understanding this. Because whenever you talk about buying and selling, it's not just you, it's somebody else on the other side. So there are two possibilities basically of who's on the other side. Let's understand that and then you'll see how this connects. It could be Allah and it could be people. It could be Allah and it could be people. Now why, why do we say Allah? Because in Allah اشْتَرَى مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمْ الْجَنَّةِ Allah purchases people's lives in exchange for Jannah. Right? He, and, and their money is in exchange for Jannah. So Allah is a buyer. Right? And the idea here is they're presenting something before Allah to save themselves. To save, you know, when the idea of buying yourself, basically I'm, I'm solving the riddle now, is saving yourself. Is saving, preserving yourself. You know, securing yourself. So you're going to offer some, the, the expression now is you're offering something to Allah in order to save yourself. Now I said one of the purchasers here could be Allah. But who's the other purchaser? People. Now how is it people? For the, for, the, for the Jewish community, this is mentioned so many places in Qur'an, and especially with the phrasing of ishtara, they used to sell, literally sell, in their sermons, certain ideas. Like they would sell the idea that the Prophet Muhammad is a liar, that he's not a messenger, that the Qur'an is not revelation. They would sell this to the people, meaning convince the people of it. Literally, like nowadays we say, what is this politician trying to sell us? He's not literally selling you anything except propaganda, right? So propaganda is, when propaganda is distributed, disseminated, it's also the idea of selling. And in that sense, they sold what they made up, remember? They make stuff up and they say it's from Allah and they sell it. They convince people this is from Allah so they can make gains out of it. So their propaganda against the Messenger, their propaganda against the Qur'an is terrible. That's what they're selling. That's what they're selling. But this time they're not selling it to Allah, they're selling it to the people. So that what in the world are they selling to Allah? We're going to leave that question hanging and we're going to come back to it. But in both cases, what, what is mentioned is whatever they're selling is horrible and what are they purchasing as a result? Their own selves. We're going to have to appreciate what does it mean that they purchase their own selves in a little bit more depth. So now let's, let's go there. There are two possible groups that this crime is attributed to. I'll deal with one of them at a time instead of making the list too long. Let's talk about one group of Jews in Medina that this might be a reference to. And I, I believe it's a reference to both because there's this duality in the speech. It covers multiple populations at one time. There's a group of Jews that are very knowledgeable in their religion. They're very confident that they are following the correct religion, that this is the religion of God, Judaism. The Torah is the word of Allah. 
and the way they follow the law is the way Allah wants them to follow the law. So they're absolutely, completely content and satisfied with their religious tradition. And when the Prophet ﷺ makes the claim that he's a prophet, they're not even interested because they're already far too settled, far too satisfied in their own religion. So they're not even going to give this religious alternative, this revelation, a chance. Like, why would I even think about that? I don't even want to consider it. This is the, you can call them the unconvinced. On the one hand, they're unconvinced of the Prophet ﷺ, and they are very settled in their own religious tradition. They're very, very settled in their own. And they believe by following their religion, they are going to go to heaven. They're going to be saved. They're going to be successful with Allah. So if you think about these people, what are they selling to Allah? They're selling to Allah their conviction without considering anything else. Their close-mindedness is what they're going to bring to Allah, hoping that this is going to be something good before Allah, and that way they will be able to save themselves. So the reason they're not looking at Islam at all, is because they want to save themselves before Allah. The idea is what we have is already perfect, we don't, we don't need to even consider anything else. But what's very telling in this commentary is that when you purchase something, answer this for me, when you purchase something, isn't that something you don't have? Right? You don't have it, that's why you purchase it. If you already had it, you don't need to purchase it. By using this language, Allah is almost indicating that these people, even though they seem very settled in their religion, they've heard some things from the Qur'an that have shaken their foundations. Like they're not so comfortable anymore that maybe we're not right. And they're, you know, when you get shaken, you have two options. You might explore more, or you might shut the door and say, I don't want to hear any more of this. Because if I hear any more of this, it's going to mess me up. I don't want to, and that's the second option they chose. They show, قُلُوبُنَا غُلْف Our hearts are wrapped up. We're completely circumcised in our hearts. That the, the expression we talked about long ago. We're settled. We don't, you know, قُلُوبُنَا فِي أَكِنَّةٍ مِمَّا تَدْعُونَا إِلَيْهِ تَدْعُونَا لَا إِلَيْهِ Our hearts are well locked away, preserved away, secure from whatever you're calling us to. We don't need to listen to anything you say. So when they heard even a little bit of Qur'an, it, resi- it shook them pretty bad. And so they decided to keep a distance and say, we're going to just show Allah what we have. We're not going to give it a fair chance. And so by the, the, the expression tashtari, or you know, samashtaro bihan fusam, it's almost as though Allah is commenting that they were losing themselves. And they had to buy themselves by holding on even more. Now, what is it that they're offering Allah? They think they're offering Allah iman. By holding on to their own book, they think they're offering Allah iman. And as we study this passage, if we get to the end of it, we're going to see that Allah is going to expose to them, even from this ayah and keep going onwards, what they don't realize, they're at, what they're offering to Allah is actually kufr. What they're offering Allah is actually kufr. Now this was a comment about the unconvinced Jews of Medina. What does that mean for you and me? What it means for you and me is that we must, as believers, come to this religion not because we were passed this religion down by our parents. We must come to this religion not because we happen to be from a Muslim country. We must come to this religion with our eyes open. And we cannot have a blind confidence in this faith that, Ya Alhamdulillah, we're Muslim, Islam is a good thing. And Alhamdulillah, for a huge majority of the Muslim world today, they are completely comfortable being Muslim because they were raised in a Muslim family, they heard the Adhan their entire lives, and they're Muslim for that reason. You know, but... Now we're living in a world where the foundations of our faith are being challenged. People are quite, why would you believe in a God? 
Why, why would you believe in this, you know, this, the, these stories in the Qur'an? Where you have people that are, you know, that are not, they're being raised into the heavens, or they're angels descending. Why, why do you believe in this fairy tale stuff? People are questioning us. They're challenging us. And we're like, how do you, how do you end? Yeah, you can't just hold on to, well, my mom's Muslim, so I'm Muslim. Good enough for me. You can't do that anymore. It's shaking you. Just like it shook the Jews who didn't, who were completely, you know, in a, in a passive sense, happy with their own religion. We're going to have to know our religion and can be convinced of our religion directly. We're going to have to have basira in our faith. You know, insight into our faith. Why are we Muslim? Part of, and I harp on this, I can't harp on this enough. The most important Islamic education today is not what is Islam. The most important Islamic education today is why are we Muslim? That's the most important education. Everything else, well, easy. And you know the problem today in our education is all we focus on is how do you pray? What is Asr? What is Dhuhr? What is Maghrib? What is Tajweed? What is Wudu? What is Halal? What is Haram? The what, 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 what? And our teenagers are asking, why? <laughs> why any of this? Why, does this? why do I have to follow this stuff? Right? So the, and that's really, they didn't have a why. They were just settled in their faith. And so Qur'an comes along and it starts asking them to reason, and even a little bit of reason, and they start getting shaken. Now here's the thing. This, this is the scary parallel, as Wallahu ta'ala alam, from what I see. We have a lot in common with this group of Jewish people. Today, the Muslims. Because even though our faith in reality, in reality is something rooted in reason, in reflection, in conviction, it is something that stands firm, qayyiman, it stands to challenge every other falsehood in front of it. It's a, it's a force to reckon with. But the version of Islam that most of us carry is a very flimsy, weak thing. Islam in reality is a very powerful thing. But the Islam that you and I are carrying is actually, we're barely holding on. And a little bit of somebody shaking it, and we get rattled. Which me, and, and you know what happens when enough people get rattled? We don't realize that it's not Islam that's been shaken. It's your flimsy understanding of it that was shaken. We don't distinguish between those two things. So we just start assuming Islam itself is, doesn't have an answer to these questions. Because I'm Muslim, I don't have the answers to these questions. So Islam itself must not have an answer to these questions. The cool thing about these ayat, the, the distinction though, is that this criticism was not being made of the common people who didn't really know their faith. This criticism was being made of the knowledgeable of the Israelites who knew their book. And they were rattled by the Qur'an. The people who know the Qur'an, the people who are knowledgeable and have insight into the Qur'an, they don't get shaken by the outside criticism. Actually, zadathum imana. When stuff happens, when people question into the book of Allah, it increases them in their iman. It increases them in their conviction. So that's actually the... Con- there, there are parallels with them, but there are contrasts with them also. Here we have... We're supposed to be a nation and we're capable of being a nation where our scholars, the more criticism they face from the outside, the firmer the foundations of our belief become. On the other hand, they, because they had corrupted the original text, they start getting shaken up. So now what's the second group? The first group was these people are not so... They don't want to consider Islam. The second group is actually people who actually considered it. They thought about it. They heard the Qur'an, they said, wait, wait a second, that, that seems to ring a bell from what I studied in Torah over here, and here, and here, and here. And they start kind of 
comparing the two. They, their book had a lot of discussion, discourse, and their oral tradition had a lot of conversation about a final messenger that's coming. Here's what he's going to look like. Here's what he's going to say. Here's what his qualities are going to be. And they start seeing the Prophet of Allah وسلم, meet, match all of, all of those qualities. They, t- they take a closer look. The closer the look they take, the more convinced they become. This is the one our book was talking about. This is the revelation our Torah was telling us is going to come. So they, when they took a closer look at Islam, became completely convinced this is the right messenger. This is the final revelation of Allah. But they also didn't want to accept. Meaning internally, they were convinced, but externally, they sold something else to people. They sold something. These, this is the group that's selling to people. So internally, they were, they were, uh, they were convinced, and on the outside, outright, no, this can't be the right religion. He's not a, how can he be a messenger? He's not even from the chosen people. He's from the cursed line of Ishmael. They, those people aren't. They, they, were, they were actually the ones that received the wrath of God. This can only be the religion of the devil. No, no, no. If this was the right messenger, it would have been among the Israelites. It would have been among the chosen. And then they'll give all kinds of you know, flimsy criticisms to their congregations to say, don't listen to him. لا تؤمنوا إلا لمن تبع دينكم. Don't follow anybody. Don't listen to anybody except people who follow your own religion. Don't go straying away and listening to them. So these were actually, in a sense, hypocrites of the Jews. Hypocrites in the sense that they have something in the, on the inside. They know يعرفونه كما يعرفون أبنهم. They recognize the Prophet and yet on the outside they're not willing to accept. But why wouldn't they? What what are they selling to people? They're selling to people this false propaganda against Islam. What do they get out of it? The question is, because Allah says, they sold this to gain what? Themselves. And you could say, what they gain for themselves is, you know, if they, and I've talked about this in our Ramadan series before, if they did sell this effectively, then they would keep their position as rabbis. They would keep their status as leaders. Because if they accept the Qur'an, accept the Prophet now they're students of the Prophet, no longer teachers. They're no longer imams and rabbis and teachers of the religion. Now they're students of the religion. They're, they're actually freshmen, not professors. <laughs> their status completely flips. And who wants to give up their position? You know? And so that's what they sold. This is what the, it meant preserving themselves, their worldly interests, their financial gains were tied to this. Because they made money off of the people by selling corrupt religion to them. You know? And they didn't want to give any of that up. And that's what they sold. And that's what they think was preserving themselves. I found something in the, in the New Testament that I want to share with you from Matthew. This is uh, attributed to the sayings of Jesus. Matthew 23. Everything they do is done for the people to see. They love the places of honor at banquets. This is so close to home it hurts. This is a criticism of the rabbis, the scholars of the time. And Isa is criticizing them and saying... These people, here's what they're really about. These corrupted ulama of the ummah of Bani Israel, that's what they're really about. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. That's what they want to hold on to. That's what they don't want to give up. Now we're going to see an elaboration. That's the next phrase. And yakfuru bima Allah. Now we move on to this phrase. Uh, um, actually, one last thing I want to say about the previous. I told you there are two groups, right? Those that are inherently unconvinced and those who are internally convinced. I want to say one more thing about the people who are unconvinced. Who are unconvinced. I did tell you they're unconvinced, but they're shaken. Right? They're unconvinced, but shaken. When that happens, 
when you're not so convinced and you're shaken, one of the reactions that you have is that you go on the offensive. You probably heard the terminology in sports, the best defense is offense. I'll give you a parallel. There are some friends of mine that used to be atheists. And they hated Islam. They hated it. And eventually became Muslim. And you might, might have known stories of people who didn't just consider Islam and found Islam. They were antagonistic towards Islam and then came to Islam. Why was that? Because they heard something in Islam that shook them. And they got scared that this could be right. And the only way to deal with it was to attack it constantly. So that little corner shelf in their mind that says, this is good, they never give it any space. They keep drowning it out with all their own criticism, their own loud noise. But that little, little tiny space keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger inside until they can't deal with it. And they, they, you know, if there's sincerity inside of them, they just come to it. They come to it themselves. So this is actually one of the other things on the Bayt Samashtarawbihi Anfusahum. Those that were unconvinced as a kind of self-defense mechanism went on the offensive against Islam. They, they kept selling criticisms of Islam because that was their own way of not having to deal with what they had deep inside, like a, the, the rattling that they experienced on the inside. So as, as I go forward, I need you to understand that when selling is being mentioned, that means they didn't just reject the Qur'an. They didn't just reject the Prophet ﷺ, they campaigned against it. There's a difference between I don't believe. And there's a difference between selling that idea to others and, and propagating that idea. That's what's so horrible about them. And yakfuru bima anzal Allah. All on what basis? On account of the fact, and this is the, the, the trade that they made, what does it result in? That they should deny and they should be in refusal and disbelieve in what Allah sent down. Ma anzal Allah. What did Allah send down? Quran. So how come Allah didn't say an yakfuru bima anzala bil Quran? Easy. Khairul kalami ma qalla wa dalla. That they should just disbelieve in the Quran. That's what they've done. No, Allah chooses a different phrase. What Allah sent down. They've dis- on account of the fact that they've disbelieved in what Allah has sent down. This is actually part of the rationale of the argument. What is the case being made to the Jewish people? The case being made is. Why are you so worried of the fact that it's coming to an Arab? Why aren't you considering the fact that the sender is Allah? The fact that it's from Allah should be legitimate enough. Their problem was legitimacy only comes if it is sent to one of ours. It doesn't matter if it's from Allah or not, it didn't come to us, that's the problem. That, and Allah says, why is that such a small detail to you? The fact that it's from Allah. As a matter of fact, we'll see as, as, as the ayat go on, they're not going to deny that it's from Allah. They're not going to deny it. They're just going to say, no thanks, we already have something. We have what we have. You're welcome to yours. It's really good. It's really good what you have. It's quite phenomenal actually. I, I really enjoy reading it. I re- I've read some of your Quran. It's, it's really quite spiritual. And they'll, they won't call it the word of man or deny it. But they'll say, we have a beautiful tradition too. Very, very cute. So you can have yours, and I have mine. And we can have a show and tell every once in a while. You know? <laughs> well, that's actually a very interesting way of saying, we're never going to accept anything until it was sent exclusively to us. So the Jewish mind was all about exclusivity, right? It's a very subtle, crafty way of saying, it's not good enough that it's from Allah. 
it has to be sent directly to us. So now, an yakfuru bima anzal Allah. And now from there, Allah highlights when in one word, the rationale behind what made them do this. Now we've already seen they sell to preserve themselves. We've already seen they don't care that it's from Allah. That's not good enough for them. But then Allah wants to, what Allah does is, in a sense, you know how you have an onion and you peel it, and there's a peel inside, and you peel that, there's a peel inside, you peel it, there's a peel inside. Allah is slicing the layers of the Jewish mind in Medina. The first piece was self-preservation. The second piece was a disregard that it's from Allah. There's even a illa for that. There's a maf'ullahu for that, which is baghiyan. The word baghiyan is you know, interpreted by, by many ulama as hasad. Hasad means jealousy. But linguistically, baghi, hasad and baghi are two different things. But first let's understand what hasad is. Tamanni zawalin ni'mah, simply speaking. Hasad or jealousy is when you wish that somebody doesn't have something. Somebody has a nice car, and jealousy means, I wish they didn't have it. And now there's two kinds of jealousy. I wish they didn't have it and I had it instead. Or whether I have it or not doesn't matter, I wish his crashes. <laughs> okay, that's, there's two kinds of jealousy. The jealousy that you want what someone else has. And there's another jealousy where you don't even want it. You just don't want them to have it. You know, they, they went on a vacation. God, I hate when they... Do you want to go on vacation? No. But I hate that they went. <laughs> You know, that's the worst form of, uh, of hasad. But that's still hasad. But here, uh, hasad is not an act. Jealousy is not an act, it's a feeling. It's inside you. It may not result in something except an evil eye, or you just saying, like, grudge or something, but it may not be acted out. The word baghi, by definition, is something acted out. It's a form of dhulm, it's a wrongdoing. It's an act of oppression. So now we're learning that hasad, which is with embedded in the meaning, is because of other ayat that, that seem to use this word interchangeably with hasad, is actually the, out of jealousy, they're even willing to do bad stuff. They don't just wish you don't have a car, or your car gets messed up, they'll go scratch it too. They want it, that's baghi. That's a step above hasad. They went and they actually did some, something. They punctured your tire. They did something else, you know. And so, talabu ma laka bihi haq. Baghi also, actually from the root, bagha, uh, is actually uh, ibtigha, pursuit. To pursue something that you have no right over. To want something that you don't deserve. That's baghi also. So what is this word doing here? What, what does it mean here? They want something they don't deserve. They're willing to do wrong to get it. They want to claim it for themselves even though they have no rights to it. What is, it that, what, what is this talking about? This is talking about the fact that revelation has come to the Prophet ﷺ. We don't want ever to accept that Allah's favor would come on anyone else. Especially the biggest favor of Allah being what? Revelation. We can't accept that that would come to anybody else. But by using the word baghi, Allah has already indicated that they are not worthy of revelation. How can they not be worthy? They received so much revelation. They've proven that they're not worthy because of the crimes, not the crimes they've committed against Qur'an, the crimes they've already committed against Torah. The crimes they've committed against Injil already. That's, they've proven that they don't deserve it, but they still want to hold on to it. They still... Let me give you a, a, like a contemporary example of the mindset of Baghi, so you appreciate what Baghi means. 
you have people that um, are in charge of a community, like a masjid, for example. I'll bring it a little close to home so it hurts a little bit. So there are, some people are in charge of a masjid. They're not taking care of the physical building. They're not allowing any educational programs. They don't do anything for the children. They don't allow any activities for the women. They don't allow any... Like they have this, this one guy that comes and they want him to lead the prayer. And they don't want anybody learning anything there. They don't want any... Like nothing. There's no charity work going on there. And they've been doing this for 20 years. And you're trying to tell... Like this is not a personal property. This is a community property. But I am the president. And I started this place. And so they, won't, don't, they, don't, they know they're not doing right by it, but they can't let go. And they can't see anybody else have it either. If somebody else had lawsuits, call the police, you know, <clears throat> make a campaign against them, start email chains against them, all this other kind of jazz. This is baghi. You want to hold something that you know you're not doing right by anyway. But you still want to hold on to it. They know they don't do justice to Torah. They know they don't do justice to the revelation Allah sent. But why should anybody else have it? We're the special group that deserves it. We're the ones who had it for so long. All of a sudden we're just going to give it up? We had it, our parents had it, their parents had it, their parents had it. How many, our entire history, we just give it up just like that? Uh-uh. That's not going to happen. This is baghi. And by the way, baghi happened with them. It's not just ethnic. It could be we're the Israelites. That's why we deserve this, whether, we deserve, whether we're rightful of it or not. But there's another element here, that of scholarship, or this, uh, uh, the, the sense of entitlement by, by saying that you're a alim. We are the rightful carriers and the rightful ambassadors of revelation because we are qualified to be the rightful ambassadors of revelation. Anybody else that... What are Isa's credentials? What are Muhammad's credentials? Where did he get his ijazah? They don't say sallallahu alayhi wa We do. What is he going to come along and tell us what God said? I've studied what God said and got 35 ijazat for no reason. He's going to come and tell us what, he, what God says. Now you're going to hold on to this place because of the credentials you have. Like you know that, that saying in Matthew I told you, you love being called what? Rabbi. You like that you get this special spot reserved for the scholarly class. You know, this became your position. This is your throne. How can you just give it up? You're asking him to do the same thing Musa was asking Fir'aun. Give up the throne. You can't just do that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. And so this is baghi. And now, now, this offers us a rationale behind their denial. That it's in a, in a sense, uh, uh, it's their birthright. And the word baghi also suggests that they're willing to go on the offensive. To preserve it. They will do anything it takes. Even if it means violating their own book. Because the news of Rasulullah is where? Is in their book. As a matter of fact, the ayah we left off at in the series, وَكَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا They used to impose on the disbelievers that the messenger is coming. Victory is coming. The final messenger is coming. They're willing to deny all of that. يَكْتُمُونَ مَا أَنزَلْنَا مِنَ الْبَيِّنَةِ They're willing to deny all of it in order to hold on to this position. They're even willing to violate Torah. Forget Quran. That's not even theirs. Even Torah, no problem. And Yunus, and all of this, why? Why this? Why so much baghi? Why so much like willingness to commit crimes? Even though you're ambassadors of God's religion, people turn to you when they have questions about Allah. They turn to you, rabbis. They come to you, and you're gonna do this. What is driving this baghi? So there's a reason for the reason for the reason. You keep digging deeper. 
You know, and now what's this this deeper reason? And يُنَزِّلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ That Allah would send down from out of His favor. There may not be nothing, anything to it, but in my mind, just from the connections in language, two things come to mind here that I haven't read anywhere, but I, I feel that they, they may be pertinent. The ayah began with bi'sa, bi'sa mashtaro. How horrible. The word bi'sa in Arabic is the opposite of the word ni'mah. So, bi'sa sharab, ni'mah sharab. Okay? Bi'sa thawab, ni'mah thawab. Bi'sa means how horrible, ni'mah means how amazing, how great. The word ni'mah is important because from the same origin is the entire story where it began. Udhkuru ni'mati allati an'amtu alaykum. Revelation is a ni'mah. Now, revelation is something wonderful, something a great blessing. And they've taken that same revelation and they've turned it from ni'mah to bi'sa. Bi'sa mashtaro. See, it's the irony of language here in the use of the word bi'sa. Now what Allah told them that He did them a favor, He said, أَنِّي فَضَّلْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ I gave you preference over all other peoples. And here Allah says, what's burning them on the inside is that Allah would continually send down out of His fadl, أَنِّي فَضَّلْتُكُمْ Min fadlihi, same word again. That that favor that I gave you over and over and over again, sending you prophet after prophet after prophet, revelation after revelation after revelation, even renewal of the same revelation that you had forgotten, even that Allah did for them. They lost Torah, Allah gave it back to them. <laughs> That's what happened too in their history. The whole thing got recovered again. And yet now Allah has shifted that fadl over, that favor over. It's like the fadl of Allah. You could say the word fadl even could mean two things. It could mean out of Allah's special favor, but fadl can also imply the meaning of tafdil, that out of Allah's new preference. The preference has changed. The preference used to be the Israelites. Now the preference is, you know, this, this son of Ismail alayhi salam, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this burns them. How did it shift? Why would Allah do this? In other words, those of them that are convinced that it is from Allah, now they're angry at Allah. Now they're angry at Allah. Now this is a difficult thing for Muslims to understand. How can a believer be angry at Allah? I understand fear Allah. I understand love Allah. I understand hope with Allah. I understand complain to Allah. I understand all of those things. إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي اللَّهِ I understand crying to Allah. Being angry at Allah? We can't process that one. How can I mean I can understand disbelievers or people that are jahil or people that don't know any religion. How can someone knowledgeable in religion be angry at Allah? But actually you'll find that these people in on many and many occasions they actually seem to indicate their displeasure with what Allah has done openly. Openly. And the Bible's full of quotes like that. I am even scared to quote them. I am even scared to quote what they say about Allah and how they speak of Allah. But here, they're upset that Allah keeps... And He didn't just send one revelation. Qur'an keeps coming in stages. Yunazzil and Yunazzil Allah. There's another qira, I believe, Yunzil Allah. But I'm going with Yunazzil for now. That He keeps on sending. Man, an, an ayah comes and burns them. Another ayah comes and burns them again. Another ayah comes and burns them again. Like, it's not like the idea of Qur'an, like the, the whole book came and it's sitting in a shelf. Qur'an keeps on coming. And every time new revelation descends, and it resonates with them that it is in fact new revelation, they turn to question Allah, why did you send it to him? Why did he get it? And so on, يُنَزِّلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ And so, so you, we move on to the next phrase, which is عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ That Allah would send, out of his own new, new, new preference now, 
or his own favor onto man yasha'u min ibadihi. Amazing language. Ala man yasha'u min ibadihi. Let's deal with the word ala first. First I'll translate the phrase, on whoever he wants from among his slaves. That's the, the rough translation. The word ala is a little bit different from ila. Contextually in the Qur'an, when you see ila with revelation, it means who was, sent, who was revelation sent to, t-o, to. But ala is who was revelation sent upon. And now that doesn't seem to make too much of a difference in English, but there is a suggestion in the Arabic embedded, and that is that when ala is used, it's like a responsibility given to somebody. A responsibility handed to somebody. Okay? And ala comes for, you know, in, in a literary sense, ala comes in the sense of wujub also. Like, you know, لِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ For example. Right, a responsibility on to people. So when revelation is sent with responsibility, Allah is now highlighting in this word, not just that the favor has shifted from the Jews to Rasulullah but He's also suggesting that He's actually able to carry the responsibility of revelation. That you weren't willing to carry, which is why you weren't rightful recipients. The word Allah carries that implication. Now, man yasha. Man yasha. The word man is anybody, whoever he wants. And this is actually perhaps even capturing their mindset. He's a nobody. Who's he? Because you know, when someone's prominent, then you say alladhi. When somebody's rather unknown, ambiguous, there's a layer of ambiguity to your speech, then you use the word man. And so perhaps Allah is actually sarcastically commenting on how they thought of him. But it could also and I'm more compelled to the, the, the latter, when Allah says, مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ There's two other things, whoever He wanted from among His slaves, meaning among the Arabs now, the ibadihi is the Arabs now, which burns even more, that they're being told that, you know, because in the Bible, they constantly called God the God of Israel, the God of Israel, the God of Israel. And Allah says, now I'm the God of these people too. You know, and they're my ibad too. These people that they had completely discounted, considered cursed and, and rejected. They're also my ibad, and I'll choose among them. So it's the shift in favor that's suggested. But then my, my favorite implication of man is actually attributed back to Allah. Who are you to have a say in Allah, who will Allah choose as a messenger? He can send his revelation and give his favor to whoever he wants among his slaves. Why do you think you even have a say? Where do you come off being upset? You have no place in asking who he picks, whoever he picks. And that's, the capturing, that, that's captured inside the word man. And so now that Allah has given us the root causes of their rebellion, he then call, talks about the net result. And the net result is, فَبَاءُوا بِغَضَبٍ عَلَىٰ غَضَبٍ They drew upon themselves as a return on their investment, rage on top of rage. فَبَاءُوا بِغَضَبٍ عَلَىٰ غَضَبٍ The word ba'a means رَجَعَ قَدْ بُؤْتُ بِهَذَا الذَّنْبِ اِحْتَمَلْتُهُ they say in Arabic, when, it, when you carry something, meaning that you, you bring upon yourself the consequence of something. Which you can say in easy English, the return on investment. Like I, you know how you say in, in English nowadays, it came back to bite me? That's close to the idea of ba'a, something that comes back and hits you. Okay? Or it came back to you. Like literally in, in, in business terms, a return on the investment. Okay? Which is interesting because the ayah began with ishtira, buying, selling. So a, a transaction was made. And by the end, there's a return on the investment. So what did, you, what did you gain? Well, what you gained was anger 
on top of anger, which means there's an anger already there. There's an anger already there. Now there's an additional anger. So we must understand now what is that first anger that's already there. Allah has already alluded to it before. وَضُرِبَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الذِّلَّةِ وَالْمَسْكَنَةِ وَبَاءُوا بِغَضَبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَيَقْتُلُونَ النَّبِيِّينَ بِغَيْرِ الْحَقِّ ذَلِكَ بِمَا عَصَوْا وَكَانُوا يَكْفُرُونَ Allah mentions they, Allah slapped, they were slapped with humiliation, powerlessness. They brought upon themselves rage. Rage is mentioned once already in the surah. They brought upon themselves rage from Allah. Why did they bring upon themselves rage from Allah? Because they used to disbelieve in the ayat of Allah. Kill the prophets without having any, without justification, because they used to openly, you know, disobey and continuously deny previous revelation. Not even Quran, previous revelations. Allah is already angry with them in the way they carried themselves with Torah. That's the ghadab already. Ghadab over their denial of the Sharia given to Musa alayhi salam. And now on top of that, what they're doing with this Quran. So now this is ba'u bi ghadabin ala ghadab. This is amazing. Like from a, from a da'wah point of view, and from an Islamic like world view point of view, Allah is angry that they don't do justice with Torah first. Allah is not just angry that they don't believe in Qur'an. Allah is angry they don't do right by Torah. That's why He says in another place in Qur'an, He says, لَسْتُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ People of the book, you have no basis whatsoever until you establish Torah and Injil. I was expecting Allah to say, Ya Ahl al-Kitab, you have no basis until you come to the Qur'an. But Allah says, you can't even consider the Qur'an until you do right by your own book first. And if you did do justice with your book, you'd naturally come to the Qur'an anyway. But your first crime is with your own revelations. And with them, I mean, Torah, they, they, they violated, which Allah describes. Injil hasn't even been mentioned yet, which they did kufr of just like they did kufr of Qur'an. This is not the first book they've done kufr of, they, that they've disbelieved in. The revelation given to Isa salam has already been disbelieved in. This is actually the second one. And so, now by the, as we come to the close of this ayah, I want you to see how there's a pretty ironic turn of events. And I'll give you your first break after that, inshallah. And that turn of events is, they were hoping, before the coming of the Prophet salam that victory will be theirs, because the final messenger is on the horizon, all the signs are there, He's coming, good times lie ahead. And by, as you come to the close of this ayah, they were already under ghadab, and they were hoping the ghadab would come to an end, the rage would come to an end, the era in which they are cursed will come to an end, and by the end of this ayah, ghadab ala, instead of the ghadab coming to an end, it's doubled. It's doubled. And so it's ironic that from the previous ayah, مِن قَبْلُ يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا this, you know, this, this transaction has gone reversed. Instead of producing benefit for them, it's actually gone the other way. And so, how you end this ayah is, وَلِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٌ muhin. Disbelievers have humiliating punishment. From a language point of view, even if you're listening to the English translation of this ayah, How terrible is what they sold and bought for themselves. They, the word they was used. And yakfuru That they disbelieve. And يُنَزِّلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ عَلَى مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ فَبَاءُوا They drew upon themselves. They, they, they. You were expending, expecting at the end, وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ And they have painful punishment. Because the thing began with they, it should end with they. But instead of using the word they, a pronoun, Allah switched to a noun. 
The norm in language is you use a noun and then use a pronoun. The norm is disbelievers, you know, disbelievers have disobeyed Allah. They shall suffer consequences. So first you mention the noun, then you mention the pronoun. The ayah reverses the scenario. The pronouns are coming first, the nouns coming at the end. Why? What's the rationale behind that? What's the point of first mentioning pronouns and then mentioning a noun? They thought of themselves as believers. They thought of themselves as people of a book. They never thought of themselves as what? Disbelievers. They, they thought they're presenting, they're, what are they selling to Allah? Iman. And by the end of this ayah, Allah says, why do you think I'm giving you such humiliation if you're believers? Why would I? And they would even say, we are the people of God. Why would Allah humiliate us? Why would God humiliate us? Well actually, to be people of God, you'd have to be believers. I've, Allah has declared you kafirin. For disbelievers, there's humiliating punishment. And this, by the way, is almost as if to say, you haven't suffered humiliation yet. Humiliation is now coming. What, what happened with the Israelites at the end of the era? Like Isa warned them of horrible humiliation that's right around the horizon. If you study Jewish history after Jesus, there's a major oppression of the Jewish people that is to follow. And Allah is now going even a step further. He's even mentioning this adab al-abadi, like this permanent punishment, constantly humiliating punishment. But the principle that I keep reiterating to you, when Allah describes punishment, He always gives it a description. Adabun Azim, Adabun Alim, Adabun Muheen. And so the last bit of this ayah, humiliating punishment, what does that imply? You know, why would Allah give them humiliating punishment in this ayah? Al Jaza'u min jinsil amal. The punishment fits the crime. Right? So the fact that the punishment is humiliating must be a result of something they've done in this ayah that is worthy of humiliating punishment. Well, the first thing they did is they tried to preserve their own prestige, if you remember. They tried because they were very interested in prestige. Allah punishes them with what? The exact opposite of prestige, which is humiliation. They try to humiliate the Prophet because he's not one of them. You try to humiliate Allah's Messenger, Allah in turn humiliates you. So now, and of course, they have they completely disregard. They go on a campaign against Allah's revelation. What could be a bigger crime than that? So now, by the end, this is actually echoing the, the first mention of ghadab in the surah, ضُرِبَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الذِّلَّةِ وَالْمَسْكَنَةِ If you look at those words, humiliation, powerlessness, they, they are synonymous, they're in the same chain of words as ihana. And so here, وَلِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٌ مُّهِينَ I know there's two more minutes, I promise, and then I'll let you guys go. In these ayat, these two, 89 and 90, you'll notice Allah has taken a pretty powerful shift against the disbeliever, against the, the Israelites that was alluded to before, but now it's coming full circle. Allah keeps using the word kufr for them. They, however, when they speak, they say, قَالُوا amanna. Their claim is they believe. And Allah is now constantly slapping their claim with the response, no, you disbelieve. So you find, فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ مَعْرَفُوا كَفَرُوا بِهِ فَلَعْنَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ Here you have, بِئْسَمَا اشْتَرَوْا بِهِ أَنفُسَهُمْ أَنْ يَكْفُرُوا وَلِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٌ مُّهِينَ and even in the next ayah, وَيَكْفُرُونَ بِمَا وَرَاءَهُ Kufr, 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 kufr. The two terms that are going to interplay in this passage are going to be kufr, which is disbelief and denial, and iman, faith. They, from their point of view, believe, 
and from Allah's point of view, they've disbelieved. And that contrast, that debate is going to happen between their claim to Iman and Allah's claim that they have kufr. May Allah Azza wa Jal give us a clear understanding of His book and not make us guilty of the crimes of the people that came before us. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Qur'an across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G.